I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When David Fagenbaum was in medical school, he developed a rare autoimmune disease that nearly killed him. As he learned more about the state of research into the disease, he discovered researchers were all working in silos and driven by misaligned incentives. He soon abandoned his plans to become a clinical oncologist and co-founded the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network with the intent of turning the research model on its head. We spoke to Fagenbaum. Executive Director of the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network and Research Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania about his organization's approach to research, the progress it's made in the short time it's been around, and how it can serve as a model to other groups looking to accelerate research about rare diseases. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to discuss the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network and, and how it might serve as a model for doing research for other rare diseases, but I thought we could begin with your own story and, and how you became involved in the disease. You were a, a medical student at the time and on your way to becoming a clinical oncologist when you became ill. What happened? That's right. I was a third-year medical student at the University of Pennsylvania, and I went from being totally healthy and treating patients to being hospitalized in my own ICU at UPenn uh, with multiple organ failure, liver, kidney, bone marrow shut down. Uh, and over the next six months, I was in and out of the hospital, spent about four and a half months hospitalized. Uh, and about halfway through that, I finally got my diagnosis uh, with what nearly killed me, and that's idiopathic multicentric castleman. You were not expected to survive at one point. I believe doctors called your parents to say their goodbyes and have a priest redo your last rites. What what changed? That's exactly right. So it took about seven weeks of, um, of or sorry, it took eleven weeks of battling my life uh, before we finally uh, had a lymph node biopsy done, which was what gave me the diagnosis. And uh, I was going downhill very rapidly um, with the intensive care unit at Duke University. Um, going downhill rapidly when we finally got the information back that I had idiopathic multicenter Castleman disease. And with that diagnosis, my doctors uh, knew of one therapy um, that was not approved but could be used off-label, and they tried it. And unfortunately, I continued to go downhill and didn't appear to respond right away. So that's when my doctors encouraged my family um, to call in a priest to read my last rites and to uh, say their goodbyes. Uh, but fortunately, within about 24 to 48 hours of that drug, um, I did start to have uh, moderate and minimal improvement. So the drug was able to keep me alive. Unfortunately, um, it kept me alive and kept my disease into a partial remission for only about six weeks before I had another full-blown relapse. And Castleman disease is such a strange disease that it's so episodic. The immune system turns itself on and really attacks every organ you have. Um, and then it, once you turn it off, it'll it'll keep you in remission, but you just never know when it'll turn back on. Casper's disease is not easy to diagnose. It's often mistaken for other diseases. How much of a problem was that in you getting your diagnosis? 
Yeah, so it was, it was 11 weeks, as I said, of, of really being on the verge of death um, without that diagnosis. And um, it's because Castleman disease um, really sits at the intersection of oncology, so cancers, uh, rheumatology, autoimmune diseases, and virology, uh, infectious etiology. So it's this disease where, um, as a patient, you get batted around between cancer doctors, autoimmune doctors, and virologists. And no one, everyone's scratching their head, and no one can figure out what the disease is. Um, but fortunately, a lymph node biopsy was performed. And when they looked at the lymph node under the microscope, uh, they saw Castleman disease features, and I got the diagnosis. Well, at the time you were diagnosed, what was known about this disease? How, how common was it, and what treatment options were available? Uh, so when I was diagnosed, um, the whole way that we thought the disease worked was actually um, completely upside down. We thought that lymph node tumors released an inflammatory protein called interleukin-6, which caused organ dysfunction. Um, what we now know is it's actually um, the activated immune system that releases interleukin-6 and other cytokines that cause the lymph node to enlarge. So it's not the enlarged lymph node causing the problem. The lymph node is enlarged because of the problem. Uh, so that was the, that paradigm and that the dogma around this old model um, really uh, infiltrated the entire literature. And so we had the model upside down. And then, unfortunately, tracking of the disease was really um, uh, pretty backwards or, or it was just pretty behind. We, um, uh, I, I remember turning to the number one resource for doctors, something called UpToDate. And UpToDate said that there had only been four cases ever of idiopathic multicenter castle disease and that only one of them was alive. And um, I remember just being uh, totally shocked and, and afraid when I read when I read this on Up to Date. Um, but what I found from my own research, and I just submitted an article recently for publication, where I actually found there have been over 600 published cases of idiopathic multicenter Castleman disease. And as you know, um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Very small percentage of cases cases ever get written up and published. So there are far more that are never published. Uh, so there was a backwards disease model and our tracking of, of cases was really behind. So when you got out of the hospital, as I understand it, you actually turned your attention away from the disease until you relapsed about a year later. It was then that you started looking into the state of research. What did you find? What was the problem with the way where disease research was being conducted at the time? That's exactly right. Uh, so when I left the hospital after that four and a half month stint of being hospitalized, getting a lot of chemotherapy and um, making it through some tough times, when I got out of the hospital, I um, knew that there were researchers doing Castleman disease research. So I felt confident that the that work was being done and, and it was moving forward as quickly as it could be. Um, as you said, it wasn't until 15 months later when I relapsed um, that I started uh, looking really in-depth into the Castleman disease space uh, and realized that though there were researchers in Japan and France on the East Coast and the West Coast all doing Castleman disease research, what I found was that actually none of them were working together and all of them were using different terminology and classification systems. So if you read the research that they published, you actually didn't know how any of it fit together and they didn't know how it fit together either because they were working together. Um, and so uh, it, it wasn't until I had this relapse and I realized that the drug I was on initially was not going to keep me alive, that we needed to better understand this disease so that patients like myself could survive, um, that I really um, dug deeply into the space. And uh, really the main things I found were that no one was collaborating, 
There was no sort of overarching strategy for how we were going to move things forward for the disease. And there was inefficient use and sharing of tissue samples and of funding. And so uh, right around that time in August of 2012, I decided to invest all of my time and really my life into trying to solve this problem, improve collaboration, develop a global strategy, and drive forward research in the most cost-efficient and um, resource-efficient manner. Well, how exactly did the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network form out of that idea? Yeah, so um, I, I turned to, to my doctor, who's also my co-founder, um, with this idea and with this um, vision, and we decided um, to create this organization, the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network, um, to be a global initiative to bring together researchers, physicians, patients from all over the world um, to really uh, attack this disease from all angles. Uh, and so that was back in August of 2012. And, and just a couple months later, the founder of another nonprofit called Castleman's Awareness and Research Care contacted me and said um, that his nonprofit had been around for about five or six years. And obviously, they had the same mission as us, accelerating research in Castleman's disease. And he wanted us to, to merge and to collaborate and to partner. And um, we, after thinking about it for quite some time, agreed and realized that there's no reason for us to compete in the space. Unfortunately, in the rare disease space, there are often multiple charities for the same um, rare disease that compete for limited funding, and also there's lots of um, duplication uh, of the same efforts. So we decided we were going to partner and that we were actually going to merge into one entity, um, take the CDCN name, um, but, but fully merge both organizations. And um, together, uh, we've been able to leverage the experience they had from the previous five years and also bring in um, our focus on uh, collaboration to really make some exciting progress. You talk about flipping the disease research model on its head. What do you mean by that? Sure. So um, the traditional model for groups like ours uh, and the model that, that we were even, or the, the care our partner was taking before um, we came around was to first raise money among patients and loved ones and then invite individual investigators to apply to use that funding, how each individual investigator saw fit. And then an advisory group would decide which investigator would get the funding. Um, we've taken a different approach um, where we actually started out by first identifying all of the physicians and researchers worldwide interested in Castleman disease or conducting Castleman's research, and we connected them through a discussion board and, and also in-person meetings. And once we connected that community, then we let the community prioritize what are all of the research studies that need to be done for Castleman, what is the order with which each one should be done. And finally, now that we have our prioritized list, we've been recruiting the top experts from around the world for each one of those studies. So we're going to them with money and with samples saying, we want you to do this study for us. And this approach of going from a reactive model of raising money and letting people come to us towards a proactive model where we determine what is the international agenda and then we go to each researcher has resulted in, in what we believe to be some really exciting progress. There are all kinds of hurdles for disease research. It, it, it tends to happen in silos and there are a misalignment of incentives for researchers that are not necessarily going to drive scientists to the answers they need. What are some of those problems and how did you address them? So you brought up the, the, two, the two largest problems, um, truly. Uh, another problem is access to tissue samples. So um, the experts for rare diseases have all of the samples um, and you can only do research on a disease if you have samples. So young investigators, researchers from other diseases, 
can't get their hands on the samples to do the research, which means that there's a small community doing the work. You're not necessarily getting in the hands of the best people. Um, and, and then, of course, the two that you mentioned are, are siloed work, individuals working on their own, and then misalignment of incentive. Physicians and researchers are often looking to publish papers and that be the outcome. As a patient, we don't care about papers getting published. We care about progress. And so um, what we've done with the CDCN um, is build this community so that there are there's easy communication between members so that when we publish research, we share in the benefit of publication. We're, we're all a part of this work. Um, so we, we, we have tried to get over this collaboration hurdle by making it something that everyone wants to be a part of. If you're not a part of the Castman network, you're missing out on some really great opportunities. So, so that's how we tackle that. Uh, aligning incentives, we actually include patients in our scientific advisory board meeting. And I don't think there's anything that will make a researcher or a physician remember why they went into medicine, which was to help patients, and to actually have a patient or the loved one of a patient in the room when you're setting priorities. And so by doing that, we help to keep focused on the patient, keep focused on progress. Well, the, the CASMA network is relatively young, but what progress have you made to date? Sure. So um, I mentioned uh, earlier that the biggest hurdle we had was that old model where we thought tumors turned on the immune system. And now we've actually found out it's the immune system that caused these lymph nodes to grow. Uh, and that was that's probably our seminal or our largest uh, or greatest finding so far um, is that what we thought was the cause is actually an effect. Uh, and, and the reason that's so important is that before when we thought that lymph node tumors were the problem um, and they released one protein called interleukin-6, we thought there were only two solutions. One is to kill the tumor and the second is to block interleukin-6. Well, what we found is that those two strategies are not effective for all. In fact, most patients will not respond um, to those two strategies. Now that we think about it as a primary immune system disorder, so a problem with the immune system becoming too activated, there are a number of drugs that target various aspects of the immune system. So for those patients that fail when you block interleukin-6, which is the only FDA-approved therapy, for those patients, we can begin considering immunosuppressant and other drugs that can target and block the immune system um, in ways that we never would have considered um, under the previous model. Well, the problems you've addressed in the way research was done in Castleman's disease are certainly not unique to Castleman's. Have other groups reached out to you to export this model to other disease areas? How, how transferable is this? It's a great point. And, and I should mention that our model is really built on the shoulders of many other rare diseases that have battled through many of the same battles that we are. Um, one that's very notable is the Cordoma Foundation. Uh, Josh Summer, the founder of Cordoma Foundation, is a good friend of mine. And as we were generating and creating the vision for the CDCN, I talked to Josh so much about the work that his foundation has done and learned so much from them um, and, and many other foundations as well. I think that the real key to our success is that um, we didn't come to this uh, with this new idea um, that, that no one else had thought of, but it, that we built this uh, or we generated and created this vision based on successes of other groups. And so um, that's an important point. But then to your question, um, we have had other foundations that have come to us um, with questions about how we're doing it, ways to, to do things more efficiently. And my vision, my goal for the CDCN 
and, and I truly mean this, is for us to put ourselves out of business very soon. Uh, we have four studies that are that are currently in the process and, and, and four more um, that we're raising funding for. When we have data back on those eight studies, I, I truly believe we'll have a much better understanding for how the disease works and, and hopefully additional therapies um, to, to better treat the disease. And, and I want to put us in a position to truly put ourselves out of business within a few years. Um, but what I hope the legacy of the CDCN will be is that our, our model will be able to be shared with many more rare diseases. Because as you know, there are 7,000 of us um, rare diseases, and we need to apply this efficient and collaborative model to many more. And the last thing I'd say to that is that I actually just accepted a position at the, in the Penn Orphan Disease Center as Associate Director for Patient Impact. And one of my charges, uh, one of my missions in this role, um, will be to try to share our model with other organizations. David Feigenbaum, co-founder and executive director of the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network and research assistant professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. David, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.